Well, today, let me invite your attention to Revelation 21. As we think about this series on heaven today, what we'll be missing. As we think about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and many of us in this room would say we put our trust in Christ, we know him as our Savior. The truth of the matter is, this earth is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And the Apostle Paul made this statement in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And then he says, and from that we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that your citizenship is in heaven? And are you eagerly awaiting a Savior from there who is the Lord Jesus Christ? When I think about that verse, I think about, again, my grandmother. My grandmother's been with the Lord for many, many years, but I remember when she was in the hospital, significant influence in my life, very simple lady. But I remember being in the hospital room with her and praying for her and just standing over her bedside and she just said, I just want to go home. And again, I knew she wasn't talking about our home out in the country. She was talking about her eternal home, being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she did go home to be with him and we still celebrate that to this day. Heaven, what, what do we know about heaven? We know that heaven is a real place. We see that in John's Gospel, chapter 14. We know that the Bible speaks about heaven over 500 times. And even in the book of Revelation alone, there's over 50 references to heaven. Now, now you have to know as Bible students and someone who studies the Word of God that it's not always going to say heaven. There are synonyms referencing heaven. For example, God's dwelling place or paradise, glory, at home of the Lord. But you're going to see those words in reference to what it means to be in heaven. And then let me ask you this question. Who is going to be in heaven? It's a great question. As I think about the answer to that, well, God's there. And where the Lord is, that's where we want to be. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be in heaven. As you and I think about angels, they're going to be in heaven. We see that in the Bible. We know many heroes of the faith, saints throughout the ages, they're going to be in heaven. And then this morning, you and I in this room, we have believing loved ones who breathe their last physical breath, but their first breath in heaven that one day we're going to see them again and they're in heaven today as well. And then one day as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we breathe our last physical breath, whenever that may be, we're going to be at home with the Lord as well. And we're going to be in heaven too. But when it comes to heaven, what is going to be missing? Uh, Yesterday I sat out on our porch for a while just practicing solitude and praying and reading the word and you and I know this. We live in a very noisy world. And as I sit out on just our front porch, I could hear sirens. I could hear horns, even cell phones. I could hear conversations. But do you and I ever get tired of the noise of this world? And then when it comes to silence, are we comfortable with silence? Or does silence make us a little uncomfortable and a little bit nervous? What about silence in your life? Again, if you're going to understand heaven, you have to read the book of Revelation. And so when you look at the book of Revelation, you're going to get insights about what heaven is going to be like because in heaven right now, they are worshiping and adoring the Lord God Almighty. They're crying out to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then we get the opportunity to do that together this morning as well. But in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, 
There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. It was not because no one had anything to say. It was just because of awe and reverence of the greatness of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading yesterday in my devotion time, Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, who later became known as the Apostle Paul. And it says as he was on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus saved him and changed his life. And then it says there in Acts chapter 9, verse 7, those who were traveling with him were speechless. Church, let me ask you in your own life, but also for us as a church, when's the last time we we saw the movement of the Holy Spirit in our midst and we just didn't have any words to speak? We were just silent, speechless, because God was moving around us and in us and through us. When's the last time it's been that way for us as a church and for us as believers in Christ? Silence in heaven. Seeing Paul come to Christ speechless. But what about today? Sometimes in life, we just need to desire silence and solitude and quietness. There there was a a guy one day, he had just had all he could take of the noise of life and he wanted a much simpler life, quieter life. And so he decided that he was going to explore some options of a monastery. And so he found one. He made application. They accepted him. He goes in and he meets with the head monk and going over the expectations and the rules and here's what's going to happen. And finally, as he's getting ready to adjust to this new life in this monastery, the head monk says, you're only allowed to speak two words a year. Other than that, it's just silence. And he thought, this is is my life. I mean, this is what I've been looking for. I'm tired of all the noise in life. And so I just want silence and solitude. So he checks in. And finally, at the end of his first year, he meets with the head monk. And the head monk says, as I told you when he checked in, you can speak two words. What are your two words? And he said, hard bed. And the monk said, well, sometimes the beds are hard. It's true. So he walks out of the office and a a year passes and he comes back in. The monk says, you have opportunity to speak two more words. What what do you say this time? And he said, cold room. And the monk said, well, sometimes it is a little cool here, but you spoke your two words. And so another year passes. He comes back in and he's meeting with the head monk again. He says, "What, what are your two words for this year? And he said, bad food. And he said, well, sometimes the food's not the greatest. That's true. So, so he leaves, he comes back the fourth year and he sits down with a head monk and he says, what are your two words for the year? And he says, I quit. And, and the head monk, without any, any thought, just lets out praise the Lord. He said, because ever since you've been here, you've just been complaining, complaining, complaining. <laughs> Silence. Let me ask you this, what's going to be missing in heaven? I want to encourage you over the next 20 something minutes to lean into this because heaven is going to be very different than than what life is like for you and me right now. And I want to give you from God's word some things that are going to be missing when it comes to heaven. Look at number one. What's missing in heaven? Number one is C. Just a C. He says in Revelation 21, three, he says, and the earth first heard to pass away and the sea was no more. Uh, why, why would the sea be removed? Why would it be gone? You have to realize in heaven what we see water is the river flowing from the throne of God. But when it comes to sea, the sea is going to be missing. 
as you know, you understand, you know, geography and so forth, about 71% of the earth's surface is covered by water, uh, salt water even at that. But why in heaven is there no sea? Let me give you a few answers to that. What's going to be missing in heaven? Well, it's a sea, and here's why. Back in those days, as they would sail across seas, they didn't have navigational equipment like we have, and the sea caused them to be afraid. You realize in heaven there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no sea. Also, you have to realize that sea, water separated land masses, so there was division there. You have to realize, so we're in glory, in God's dwelling place, there's no division or disunity in heaven. None whatsoever. And then when you think about salt water, it does what? It purifies the earth of impurities, but you have to understand, in heaven you don't need a sea. Why? Because there's nothing impure in heaven. Everything is going to be perfect. Very different than the life that we live now. But what's missing in heaven? Well, one is there's no sea. That's what the Bible says. The sea was no more. Number two, relational distance. As you and I think about what heaven is going to be like, in heaven there's not going to be any relational distance. I remember when I was growing up as a kid and hearing fire and brimstone preachers. Anybody ever hear any of them? Fire and brimstone preachers. They would preach the word of God hot. They would sweat. It would be amazing to hear them. And uh, they would lose their voice at times because they were preaching so strong. But, but they would talk about backsliding a lot. Anybody ever heard sermons on backsliding that you've walked away from Christ and you've been unfaithful to him and you've, you've backslid in your relationship to him? Well, in heaven, there's no backsliding. In heaven, there's no prodigals. There's no relational distance in heaven because that's in Revelation 21. He says, he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. There's no relational distance in heaven. You and I are going to live intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Close and intimate with him. There's nothing like, yeah, I've drifted away from him. There's nothing like I'm living as a prodigal. I've backslid in my relationship to him. It's just intimacy, intimacy, intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, as you and I think about this, there are many things we could talk about in heaven. We could talk about the beauty of heaven and it is going to be beyond comprehension. We could talk about what fellowship is going to be like in heaven, what it's like to have perfect relationships in God's dwelling place. We could even talk about the freedom that we're going to have in heaven, heaven freedom from pain and suffering and all the challenges that we have in this life, free from all of those things. But those things don't even compare to the idea that we're going to live near the Lord God Almighty intimate with him and he's going to live near to you and me as you and i think about that i want you to turn back just for a moment to second chronicles second chronicles chapter five listen to this in beginning in verse 13 and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the lord do you hear what that said it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving. Is there unity among our worship in this room today? 
In heaven, there's not going to be division over worship. We're going to be united. We're going to be together. And then he says, and when the song was raised with trumpets, cymbals, other musical instruments, and praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Never forget the goodness of God and the steadfast love of the Lord for you and me. And then he says, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord was filled with the clouds so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God, the presence and the glory of God. And when you and I get to heaven, we're going to be, we're going to be worshiping a God that is holy and righteous, good, faithful and loving. And his glory is going to fill the aspects of heaven. There's no relational distance in heaven. I'm not living separate from him. I'm not living away from him. I'm living intimate and near him because he's intimate and near to us. Number three, secondhand knowledge. There's no secondhand knowledge in heaven. Here's what I mean by that. So much of life right now for you and me, we, we focus on learning God's word from other people. We sit under the preaching and teaching of pastors. We go to connect groups where we're listening to Bible study teachers. We attend discipleship classes where someone is teaching a course, a class, giving us insight into the word of God. That there are many times we'll go to a conference or to a convention. Uh, We'll watch some online resource because we're growing in our understanding of God's word. We'll read the scripture. We'll read books. We'll read articles. We'll do all those things because that's a part of who we are right now in the disciple-making process. Yes, we worship God. We love people. We share Jesus. We make disciples. I have spent years upon years upon years of my life sitting under professors, reading books and articles, and writing papers. Why? Because I'm learning from other people, but also seeking to teach other people as well. But you have to understand, in heaven, we're not going to sit on the professors. We will learn from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's no second-hand knowledge here. I'm going to learn from the one who died and gave his life on Calvary's cross, buried in the tomb, raised on the third day. We are going to learn from him. We're going to worship him and serve him, and he is going to teach us in our walk with him. No secondhand knowledge. Thank you for being here week in and week out, Wednesday nights. But again, in heaven, I'm probably not going to be doing the teaching. We're going to listen to him. It's going to be a glorious thing. Number four, tears. The Kleenex company is going to be out of business. You're not going to need Kleenexes anymore. We have tissues on the front pews here when we do services or funerals, but in heaven, there, there are no tears. The Kleenex company is going to be gone. You have to realize in heaven, that's what he says in Revelation 21, he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. And you have to realize in heaven, you're not going to wipe a tear from your eye anymore. You're not going to wipe a tear that flows down your face anymore. You're not going to sit beside a loved one and wipe a tear out of his or her eye. You're not going to sit there and wipe a tear away from his or her face. In my years of pastoral ministry, I've sat with many, many families, and I've seen them at deathbeds and critical times in life, just wiping tears away from loved ones. And I know they're here today, Daniel and Mary. I did a funeral for them 
Daniel's mother passed away, went home to heaven, did the funeral Friday afternoon. And as I was listening to the music and preaching the message on Friday, Mary was wiping tears away from Daniel's eyes. And he realized that that's not going to happen in heaven because that still shows that we're not home yet. We're still on this side because in heaven there are not going to be any more tears. Those are going to be gone. Can you imagine living life with no more tears? I mean, we, we cry a lot. We cry at weddings. We cry at funerals. We cry at sporting events. We cry at church services. But in heaven, there's no more tears. It's going to be gone. Number five, death. Can you comprehend this? In heaven, there's not going to be any more death. Can you realize this when you think about heaven? There's, there's no funeral homes. There are no funeral services. There are no caskets, there are no cemeteries, there are no loss of loved ones anymore because he says in this passage there's no more death. You realize again there's not ever going to be a time where there's going to be a Thanksgiving or a Christmas where there's going to be an empty seat as believers in Christ. And you realize in heaven there's not ever going to be a time that there's going to be a phone call or a knock at your door stating that someone has tragically lost his or her life. Never going to do that in heaven because there's no more death. The most difficult morning for me in ministry came on a Saturday morning, 6 a.m. in the morning. I had the responsibility with another soldier from Fort Knox, and we showed up on the doorstep of a mother and dad, 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and we were going to notify them that their son had been killed in battle overseas. You'll never have to do that in heaven because there's no more death. He says that in Revelation 21. There's no more tears and death shall be no more. Isn't that a great way to live? There's just no more death. There's no more tragedy or loss. Number six, mourning or crying. He'll wipe every tear away from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall they mourning or crying. Again, we, we, we mourn, we cry at a lot. We Again, we cry at services we cry at sporting events we cry at funerals and weddings we cry at so many things mourning there's no more sadness in life can you imagine going through life and not shedding any tears can you imagine going through life and not having any sadness in your life because there's so much sadness in the world in which we live seems like we've been shedding a lot of tears lately because of shootings and accidents and tragedies those things are going to be over because there's no mourning, there's no crying, anything like that that's going to be in heaven. You realize again, uh, it's hard to comprehend, isn't it? That, that there's not going to be any, any regrets about the past. I mean, there's not going to be any depression in heaven. Can, can you imagine there's no failures in heaven? There are no disappointments in life. You didn't get this or didn't get that. Those things are going to be over because there's no mourning, there's no crying. Everything is going to be perfect in heaven. Number seven, pain. There's not going to be any pain in heaven. That's what Revelation 21 says, crying nor pain anymore. There's no pain. I sense in this room today, there are people in this room facing emotional pain. I imagine there are people in this room today who are facing relational pain. 
I anticipate there are people in this room facing physical pain. And I imagine there are people in this room even today facing spiritual pain as well. But you have to realize in heaven there's no more pain that's gone. That's going to be missing in heaven. Do you realize in heaven there are no doctors, there are no dentists, there are no surgeons, there are no therapists. There's no pain. Do you realize in heaven there's not going to be any cancer? There's no dementia. There are no strokes. There are no congestive heart failure issues. There's no pain. Do you understand in heaven there are not going to be any hospitals? There are no cancer centers. There are no nursing facilities because there's no pain. Those things are going to be over. There are no root canals. There are no more copays because those things are painful. Uh, painful in the mouth, but painful in the wallet as well. Uh, it's not going to be pain like that anymore. Can you imagine living for all eternity with no pain? Early in ministry, we were able to reach a young family. It was a husband and wife and two, two small kids. And this young mother in her early 30s diagnosed with a terminal disease. And Angie and I walk with them and we'd visit them and we would, we would do some things with their kids. And, and she would come into service and she was extremely weak. And here's what I was able to see, even from the platform with my own eyes, her physical body was getting weaker and weaker, but her spiritual life was getting stronger and stronger. And what kind of excuses do we give why we can't join God's people in worship? Well, I can't do that today and I can't do that today. And and when this, this young mother and this wife, her physical body getting weaker and weaker and weaker, she finally got to the point that she could not walk. And I still remember her husband. He was, a, he was a strong guy. He was a doctor as well. She's in her early 30s, just physically can't even walk anymore. And Sunday mornings, I'm standing in the pulpit, and I see the door open on my left side, and he's walking in with her in his arms, carrying her like this. And she's holding a pillow, and he, she's, he's literally carrying her like this. And he walks her up to the front pew and he, and he lies her down on the front pew. And she sits there the entire worship service as I'm preaching as we're singing. She's lying on the front pew with a pillow. Why? Because she did not want to miss the gathering of God's people. What kind of excuses do we give why we can't be here? A few raindrops? Late night? just don't really like what they're doing. And here's a young mother, 30-something, such a desire to be there, had every excuse you could imagine. But he walks her in, literally carrying her like that, puts her on the front pew. She went home to be with the Lord as anticipated. And I still remember standing at Kim's funeral and I told him that day, I said, you know, I, I, what I'm going to say, she's already preached her funeral. I'm just sharing the words with you. But I said, the good news today for Kim, her physical body got weaker and weaker. Her spiritual life got stronger and stronger. But you know, the good news is she has now experienced the ultimate healing in her life. Her pain is over. In heaven, there's no, no more pain. I wonder how many of you today are dealing with significant pain in your life. And I just want to encourage you as you're dealing with pain, 
daughters, other things. To draw near to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I realize I don't like pain, but this is temporary. It's not eternal. And in the midst of my pain, I want to draw near to you as you draw near to me. And Lord, I just want to find comfort and peace and strength in you. You may be mourning, you may be crying, you may be shedding tears, but you draw near to him and say, will you comfort me and help me in the midst of your pain? Number eight, sin and Satan. Now I have to watch because I could get shouting at this point. When you think about what's missing in heaven, there's no sin and there's no Satan. There's no sin. There's no immorality in heaven. There's no gossip in heaven. There's no backbiting in heaven. There's no lying in heaven. There's none of those things are in heaven because sin is not going to be present. But also, there's no Satan in heaven either. As you read the Bible, the first chapter and the last chapter, what's missing in those? Well, it's Satan. He's missing in those, but he's going to be missing in heaven as well. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. Can you comprehend today, church, what it's going to be like to dwell forever and forever in a place where there's no temptation, there's no spiritual warfare? It's just going to be peace, worship, fellowship, service to our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin and Satan will be missing. What a day that's going to be. Number nine, temple and church buildings. When it comes to heaven, worship is going to be alive and well in heaven. We're going to be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We're going to be singing unto him. But you have to realize in heaven, we're not going to need a temple. We're not going to need a church building. You know why? Because worship is going to be God-centered, not building-centered. Worship is going to be about him. There are no temple church buildings. So uh, this building is wonderful. We appreciate it, but it should never limit our worship and surrender to Jesus Christ. Because in heaven, it's going to be about him. Number 10, certain people. What's going to be missing in heaven? Well, certain people. In our day and time, we, we use a word a lot called universalism. You say, what in the world does that mean? It's just living with the understanding that everyone goes to heaven. What does the Bible teach about that? Does the Bible teach universalism that everyone goes to heaven? The Bible teaches that heaven is real, but does the Bible teach that hell is real? The answer is yes. The Bible teaches that heaven is real, but the Bible also teaches that hell is real. If we're not careful, we will live with a universalist mindset in life. Here's what I mean. Two aspects of that. One is intellectual universalism. What that means is we, we think that everyone goes to heaven. And then there's a second component to that, and it's called functional universalism. What does that mean? doesn't mean we simply think that everybody's going to heaven. We live like everyone's going to heaven. But, but you and I have to know that when it comes to missions, evangelism, gospel conversations, those are not less for us. Those are not optional for us. We need to be engaging people in evangelism, missions, and gospel conversations because everyone does not go to heaven. Some people die separated from Christ and spend eternity in torment. 
say, well, what? that sounds awful judgmental. That sounds very narrow-minded. Well, here's what the Word of God says. He says in Revelation 21, verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I didn't make that up. That's what God said. Now, here's the great news about grace. If you say, well, I've committed one of those. Does that mean I'm going to spend eternity separate? It's not talking about that at all. That's the grace of God. You could be a liar before the grace of God saves you, and you're someone who speaks truth now. What he's talking about is someone who is an unrepentant individual, refuses to give his or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you die rejecting the grace of God, the imitation of God in Christ, and you die outside of Christ, you spend eternity in a place called torment. Because heaven is real and hell is real. And so what's going to be missing in heaven? Certain people will be missing in heaven. Now, I want to ask you this question. As you think about what what I'm getting ready to say, let me read this verse to you. Revelation 21, verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, talking about heaven, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me ask you this morning, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And here's the good news. If your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, he doesn't have an eraser where he erases your name. Your name is there for all eternity. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know that? You have to understand, I didn't ask you, had you been baptized? I didn't ask you, have you observed the Lord's Supper? I didn't ask you, have you affiliated with the local church? I ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know him? Because here's the truth. Whether it's the Pope or whether it's Mary or whether it's your pastor, whether it's a deacon, whether it's a connect group teacher, whether it's good works, whether it's giving money, being baptized, observing the Lord's Supper, none of those things or individuals can save you and get you to heaven. None of those. Well, how do you go to heaven? Well, Jesus said it as we talked about last week. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which you must be saved. It is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. How do you go to heaven? You turn from your sin. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sinless life, his sacrificial death, his burial in the tomb, and his glorious, celebrative resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is alive. That's how you go to heaven. So what's going to be missing in heaven? Certain people. Why? Because they never responded to the invitation of Christ to surrender their lives to him. One of the songs that we often sing a lot, John Newton wrote, you know it, Amazing Grace. And John Newton goes on into that and talks about that hymn, but he also talks about what what he thought it was going to be like when he got to heaven. And he said, and I read this one time, he said, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be amazed by at least three things. 
And there are many more than that. But he said, I think I'm going to be amazed by at least three things. And somebody said, what are those three things? And, and then he outlined them. John Newton said this. He said, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be amazed by the people who, did not, who, who, who I thought would be there. But when I get there, I'm not going to be there. Let that sink in for a moment. People you thought would be there and in reality, not going to be there. And he said, second thing I'm going to be amazed by, the people who I didn't think would be there are going to be there. And then John Newton said, the third thing I'm going to be amazed by, he said, I'm going to be amazed that I'm in heaven. And why am I in heaven? Because of his amazing grace. His grace. Here's the good news. You can live your life with blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. And how do you do that? Well, you acknowledge that you sinned against him. You know that he loves you. And you understand the gospel, his death, burial, and resurrection. And you don't let the enemy win. You surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you trust him as your savior. You can be forgiven and have the assurance that you're going to be in heaven today. And if you need to know Christ, our pastoral team is going to be here in a moment. Our prayer team is going to be here. We'd love for you to say yes to Jesus today and walk out one of these doors, saved, forgiven, redeemed, a child of God. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and you're going to be in heaven forever and forever and forever. You can know that today. If you need to obey him in baptism, we'd love for you to do that. If you want to join the fellowship of the church, you know Christ and, and, and you've been baptized in a biblical way, we'd love to receive you. But also I want to encourage you today in this room, even those who are watching wherever you may be, we're going to give an invitation in just a moment and we're going to sing and we're going to invite people to respond to the invitation of Christ. And What is the Lord doing in your life in this invitation? I wonder how many people in this room right now, as individuals, as couples, as families, you need to come and get on your knees before him and to say, Lord, right now I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with death. I'm dealing with mourning, mourning and crying. I'm dealing with pain and tears. And Lord Jesus, I need to draw near to you and let you minister to me in the pain that I'm dealing with in life. And then you need to allow the people of God to gather around you because the Bible says carry one another's burdens and you say, I don't need to carry that myself. I need the people of God around me and you let them come around you and love you and walk with you and minister to you. Oh, one day this is going to be over. There are no storms, there are no adversities, there are no pains, that's gone. But in this interim time, you need people around you as the Lord is near you. How many of you need to come this morning and just get on your knees and to say, I need the help from the Lord, but also I need the help from God's people. Who needs to do that? How is he speaking to you in this invitation? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, there's something about silence.
And Lord, we pray right now for anyone under the sound of this prayer who does not have a personal, intimate relationship with you, that he or she would surrender and say yes to Jesus. We pray for any other spiritual decision that needs to be made. And then, Father, I pray this morning for those in this room facing pain, facing death, mourning, crying, sadness, grieving, that they would draw near to you and allow the people of God to come around them and to say, I need, Lord, your help, but I need their ministry. Lord Jesus, will you move in this invitation? And Father, I pray the enemy would have no victory in this invitation. I pray you would remove all pride from us to say, if I respond, what is somebody going to think? It doesn't matter what someone thinks. We're let people draw near and obey you. God, if our staff, our prayer team can pray and just weep with people, Lord, we'd love to do that because we're not home yet. We're still on this side. So, Lord, move in this invitation and give us your blessed assurance, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.